Josh was able to kind of take us forward in the story of Paul in the letter that uh, we're studying in uh, the Philippians. Uh, If you haven't been with us, let me just kind of summarize. We're going to finish the first chapter today. Here's how it starts. It's a letter that Paul writes to this church in a place called Macedonia. Anyway, uh, that's a map if you're kind of new. I always draw maps on my belly. It's kind of a globe more than it is a map. But uh, uh, if this is the Mediterranean, Philippi is up here in Macedonia. And and Paul went there in Acts uh, Acts 16. We have the story of his basically planting this church with the Philippians. They were a great church, one of the the better ones that we have uh, in our Bibles. They were uh, servants of God in their area uh, and certainly servants to Paul. They had uh, sent him a gift, and that's this letter's uh, purpose is to thank them for that gift that came uh, through the the messenger Epaphroditus, a great name for your next child. But uh, 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 Epaphroditus delivers uh, this monetary gift to Paul. He's in prison in Rome. Did I mention that? I don't know if I mentioned that. He's, he's, uh, he's actually uh, writing from prison. And, and so it, the letter opens, he says hi, and then a bunch of just amazingly uh, deep and theological uh, ideas in just a couple verses as he starts the letter. Uh, and then he, he gets right to it. He thanks them for the gift. He, he prays his hopes over them. Uh, he moves on. Uh, someone had asked Epaphroditus to ask Paul how he was doing, and so Paul writes with his answer. He says, hey, man, prison's not so bad. My words, but that's basically what he was saying. Uh, God's really working through my imprisonment. I'm strapped to these guards uh, on a regular basis, and I get to share the gospel with them. And uh, you'll, you'll be glad to know that the, the gospel has spread throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. Uh, and and, and sol- soldiers in the Roman army are coming to know Jesus Christ. Pretty amazing. Uh, he even talks about how the gospel, uh, as he preaches it in prison, is inspiring the church in Rome. He says there's those who are outside uh, these walls who are Christians who are like, well, if Paul can do it in prison, we can do it out here. And uh, so they're preaching the gospel all the more. He, he does mention that there's some who in the church in Rome are preaching the gospel at, while at the same time throwing mud at him, hoping to kind of, you know, take a few rungs up the ladder uh, in, in the minds of those who they might be leading in Paul's stead. So grateful to be a part of a world where that's not how things happen anymore, that, you know, in this world that we live in, nobody's taking advantage of someone else's failures to promote themselves. Is anybody picking up the sarcasm a little bit on this one? Yeah, it's still very much the human way, uh, and Paul was the victim of it, but, but this is what he says. He says, hey, man, this is a very, uh, you know, deep theological Greek word. He says, whatever. Whatevs. No big whoop. Listen, do whatever you want to me. Say whatever you want to say about me as long as the gospel of Jesus Christ moves forward. That's all that Paul cared about. Prison's great. Now he goes on, and and Josh preached these verses last week. He talks about the win-win. He's like, you know what, I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to get out of here and come back and hang out with you or or if this might be, you know, something that leads to maybe the end of my life. Uh, He says, but regardless of what happens, if I live or if I die, win-win. For me to live is Christ, for me to die is what? Gain. I'm I'm either with him here or I'm with him there. Uh, And then he says, you know what, I suppose I'll come back and hang out with you. It would be for your good that I do this. And then he bridges to what we're going to study today. As he finishes kind of detailing his, his own life and the things that are going on with him, uh, he turns his thoughts in this letter uh, to his friends in Philippi. And he's going to spend the next couple of chapters saying, hey man, here's what I hope for you as a church. He, he starts verse 27, which is where we're going to begin our time in the word today. Uh, Philippians 1 verse 27 starts with the word 
only. It's the Greek word monos, from whence we get monogamy or monochrome, right? It's, it means what? It means you kiss somebody who is sick, and so, no, no, that's mono. Anyway, uh, that's weird. I said that last service, and I said, I said I wouldn't say it this service, but there, it tumbled out of my face. Mono, mono means only. Everybody put up one finger for me, the right one finger. Thank you, Bobby, I appreciate the right one. Uh, one, he says one thing. One thing, he's going to go on, you know, uh, as, as, a, as a preacher of the word of God, he's going to go on as the, the apostle here in this first century. He's going to, you know, minister in so many different ways to so many different people, but he's, he's kind of coming down. Put it up one more time for me. Here's the one thing, only, he says to the Philippians as he starts this next part of his letter. Anybody have a hard time keeping the one thing in mind as you go about your life. I, 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 uh, I'm at that age now where I am uh, uh, heading towards a certain purpose and easily distracted from it. Last night I was gonna go grab my AirPods off of the charger uh, that I keep them on in our hallway so that I could watch my uh, uh, iPad before I go to bed, which is horrible. I know if you're gonna go to sleep, don't look at a screen. Pray for me. Anyway, uh, uh, I'm in my uh, bedroom as I watch the screen. I didn't want my wife to hear, you know, the, the highlights of the baseball game I was watching, so I thought I'd grab my headphones. Husband of the year. How's it going? Anyway, uh, I go out, and who does this? I'm heading to the headphones, and something pops in my head. Have I checked the doors? Absolutely, I have, but I got a little OCD, so I'm going to check them again. And so I walk around and make sure all the doors are locked. They were. Uh, and then uh, as I'm walking back through the kitchen, the lights are on, and I thought, you know what? Probably could use a little sleep help tonight. So I went to our, our, uh, our pill, pill cabinet. It's like a whole section. No, not really. Anyway, uh, but, uh, but I went and gra- uh, grabbed a sleeping pill, and I was like, this is going to be great. I'll sleep great tonight. And then uh, I noticed a few of the dishes that were you know, still kind of left out on our, our table, which this is a new thing for me. I'm typically very good at ignoring every mess in my life. But uh, for whatever reason, last night as I'm heading you know, back to my room, I'm like, you know what? Someone needs to put these in the sink. So I put them in the sink. I actually ended up rinsing them off. Again, husband of the year. I rinsed them off and I put them in the dishwasher. And then walked straight past my AirPods and back into my dark room where I situated myself. Has anybody got a system where you watch TV? I sit down in my chair. I got this little lap thing that holds my computer up. I put a pillow behind my head, blanket over my legs, and I get ready to watch my, and I'm like, AirPods! Has anybody been there? It's the whole reason I got up from the chair in the first place, and I've completely forgotten it. Now some of you are like, is he going to preach? Yes, here it comes. Christians are notorious for getting the for 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 forgetting the one thing. We get wrapped up in so many other things, and I'm not even saying that they're unworthy of our attention. But we make other things the one thing where the one thing should always be. Put it up one more time. The one thing, only Paul says. What he's going to describe in the next four verses after the only is the Christ life. If you're new to Jesus and the story of his word, uh, there's a life that God has sent his son uh, to earth to live and die and resurrect for, a life that he wants you to have if you don't have it yet. In fact, let me just uh, issue this uh, invitation at the beginning of our service. If you don't know what it is to be a Christian, I would love to explain that to you after we're done our service tonight. I would love to have you uh, have the opportunity to receive him. We'll throw a rose on the stage for you, and that's not the reason to do it. But uh, this is what the church is about, for you to be introduced to the life that God has given you through faith in Jesus, okay? It's called the Christ life. 
And what Paul's going to describe, this one thing is a description of that life. This is what I want for you, church, in Philippi. This is what I want for you, church, in Brandon, 2023. This is what I want for you, Christian, who is living life with Jesus, for Jesus, and through Jesus. It's the one thing, the Christ life. Now, before I give you Paul's uh, description of the Christ life, it might be fun. Turn to someone next to you and give some of the components of the Christ life. What would be the things you think Paul would mention as we get ready to study this portion? What is the Christ life? Answer the question. The Christ life is, or fill in this, this uh, it's going to show up on the slides. The Christ life is. You guys are doing better than the first service. I hear actual words. All right, that's all the time you get because we've got to get out of here. But uh, not like too fast. Two hours, that's it. Three things that Paul uh, shares with us in this text about the Christ life. Um, I'll read them to you and then, well, no, you know, I'm just going to teach them to you. Stand up, everybody. Mark's had a week off. He's figured out some motions to what we're going to learn today. It'll be fun. Here we go. The Christ life is, everybody, uh, take like you're holding a contract and a pen and sign your name to it. It's a statement or a contract to be made. Show it to everybody. It's a statement to be made. Say that with me. It's a statement to be made. The Christ life is a statement to be made. It's not just a statement to be made. It's a, everybody take a pole like a spear and plant it in the ground like you're going to go fight somebody in a war. It's a stand to be taken. Everybody say that. It's a stand to be taken. It's a statement to be made. And it's a stand to be taken. This last one's my favorite. It's a, everybody ready? A struggle to be embraced. Here comes the struggle part. It's the struggle. And then give yourself a hug to be embraced. All right? It's fun, isn't it? Are you new? You're, you're like, is this going to really happen? It's, a, it's one more time. It's a struggle to be embraced. So first of all, it's a statement to be made. It's a stand to be taken. And it's a struggle to be embraced. Have a seat. You did very well. Hope you remember those. <laughs> Let's walk through each one of these as Paul describes them. First of all, this one thing, this Christ life, is a statement to be made. It says in verse 27, only, monos, one thing, only, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul, if you've been paying attention to me so far, has just written to them of how he's done this as a prisoner in Rome. I have sought, even as a prisoner, to live my life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel that I've been given in Jesus Christ. I didn't get strapped to a guard and been like, woe is me, and complained and you know, tweeted out all my, you know, this stinks. I just sat there, and where God gave me opportunity, I took them. Where God allowed me, I sought him. And I sought in all things to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a really short Greek sentence. There's really only four words in this sentence. It's longer than ours because we have to translate a little bit more. But uh, um, Paul basically says, um, 
only, and then the Greek word next is polu, I'm going to say it wrong, polituomai, polituomai, uh, which has as its root, the, the root word polis, like Minneapolis in Indiana, polis. Uh, what's a polis? It's a city. Good. Well played. Thank you, brother, brother for coming. Uh, it's a city, right? In, in the age that Paul's living in, it's a city-state. Philippi was a city-state of the, of the empire of Rome. In Macedonia, it was like the county seat. It was actually the site of a famous battle uh, that uh, avenged the death of Caesar. I don't have time to get into all that. But, but it had become, in this region, um, uh, kind of a Rome away from Rome. Oh, that's funny. That's, that, that rhymes with home away from home. It, it's, it's kind of the, the place where Romans would rally and, and see as their, their, their citizenry or their, their seat. It was our place. And they would act accordingly. Romans were expected to act uh, up to their Roman citizenship. And so Paul takes this word and he says to these guys, act in a worthy manner. Act in a way that uh, begets or be, uh, befits uh, your citizenship, not in Rome, not in Philippi, but in Christ, in heaven. If I had to boil it all down, I'd say this. Christians, this one thing needs to be the focus of your life. I am not from here I am from there. I am a citizen first of heaven. And my, my actions, my thoughts, my, my words, uh, everything needs to flow from there first and not from here. Act in a manner worthy of the life that you've been given. I uh, travel uh, often with my uh, uh, friends here at our church and sometimes meet other members of other churches and ministries around the world. Um, I'm often saying this in some form. Please, as we travel, don't be the ugly American. Does anybody know uh, that Americans aren't always highly esteemed outside of our country? Did you know that? Apparently, there's been Americans who have gone abroad and not behaved well. They've uh, acted entitled. I don't know what they did, but they, they were uh, uh, acting in such a way that all the other Americans got a bad rap, right? And so <laughs> I have this conversation on almost every missions trip. Hey, let's remember who we are. Not Americans. We're not here to get all of our rights and entitlements. We're here as Christians, citizens of heaven first, to be used of God for the glory of God, to serve the people of God wherever we land today. It's about them and him and not us because our citizenship resides in Jesus. The Christ life is first a statement to be made. Our life speaks. So let our manner of life be worthy of the gospel that we've been given in Christ. How do we best make this statement? Well, it's going to require us to take a stand. It's a stand. The Christ life is a stand to be taken. Paul goes on, and after saying to live a life worthy, he says uh, these things in the second half of verse 27. So, that whether I come, which was his hope, he just revealed that in what Josh preached last week, whether I come and see you, or I am absent, I never get to do that, whatever the case, regardless of which, my hope is that I hear of your standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, side by side, for the faith 
of the gospel. What a fantastic verse. Yeah. He starts with that word stand. I want you to, I want to hear about your stance. You're standing firm, right? That word stand is the Greek word stako. Everybody say stako. It's from whence we get ribeye. Oh, it's not really where we get ribeye. It, it, it's, the, it's what we just used in our illustration of it. It's that, that spear, that pole, that, 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 that uh, stake in the ground. He says, put your stake in the ground for Jesus and stand firm in him. When I hear about you, whether I'm with you or I'm not, I want to hear that you're stako, standing firm in one spirit. We, we need to dig in as, as followers of Jesus Christ. More so now than perhaps at any time in our country's history, we need to dig in, in love, with truth, but stand firm. There's all kinds of stuff that is uh, in our culture, pulling against us. Uh, we got the wars over gender and sexuality. We've got all these uh, ideas that are swirling in, in, our, in, in the zeitgeist. And, and what we need to understand is what God desires for us as we seek him and follow him. We love everybody, but we stand for truth. Are you with me? And we don't budge off of that. We stand firm. We get, <laughs> we, we, we get that we dig in, we, or we need to dig in. We dig in in all kinds of stupid stuff, right? Like just, it's a human thing. We, we're just natural diggers. We're, we're just gonna dig in on usually things that don't matter. You know, I went through a, a drive-thru recently, and I don't mean to keep pounding this nail. I'm not a huge fan of Dr. Pepper. Please don't send me pictures of it to my email. Don't drop cans of it on my desk. I get it. You like it. It's okay. I'm glad you do. I don't. And so uh, recently, uh, I went through a drive-thru, and the, the, the person who was filling up my uh, drink cup mistakenly hit the wrong spout and filled my cup full of Dr. Pepper. And I didn't know until I took my first slug off of it, you know, half a mile down the road. Anybody been there? What do you do in that situation? Uh, I guess I'll just drink it. That's some of you, okay? Or I guess I won't have a drink. That's others of you. Not this guy. No, 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 no. We will not have this. I paid for this really bad thing for you. I'm gonna go get uh, what I want, right? And so I spin, not like spin out, not like in anger, right? But I head back very carefully, obeying the speed limit. And I walk into that store, that place where I got this soda, and I explain very nicely in the love of Christ, I don't want this swill. Anyway, uh, uh, no. And they give me what I want, and I walk back out. And I took, what, 15, 20 minutes of my life just to get the correct drink order. Because we dig in for what we think is uh, what matters most. We dig in for, for what we feel like uh, should be. And what Paul says is, hey, man, I hope you get the right drink at the drive-thru. But what matters most is this one thing. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stand firm. How? In one spirit. He's going to move from talking about the, the conviction that we're, we're meant to live life, life by to talking about the concert that we're meant to live it in. We're meant to live it together, standing firm in one spirit, together as the church of Jesus Christ. You know why we make it such a huge fuss for you guys to find each other in life groups and relationships, service ministries and stuff like that is because Christianity is a team sport and we're meant to do it in concert with each other. 
focused on the spirit, God's spirit and the spiritual realm, the spiritual things that are happening around us. Does everybody understand that everything's spiritual? Like everything that you live in, exist in, everywhere that you go, God is there. His hopes for you preside over that situation. And we need not to be weird about it or anything like that, but to be constantly aware that God is working in our midst, that he deserves our conversation in any circumstance. I was golfing on Friday with an old friend. Uh, I got to do his wedding, uh, preside over his wedding with his wife some, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago. He was in town, lives in Texas, uh, and we got to sit together in a golf cart. Two brothers in Christ, right? And, and so what do we do for the first few holes? What everybody who's ever played golf with a friend does, we try to distract them so they play poorly, right? That's the whole point of any uh, athletic endeavor together with a buddy. Mess them up wherever you can, right? So we're doing that and laughing and joking and having a good time, talking about each other's lives in general. But then my friend turns to me and he says, hey man, can I tell you what God's doing in my life? And all of a sudden it clicks, oh yeah. Iron sharpen iron. Brothers hanging out. Sure, there's lots of things going on in life, but let's get down to what matters most. He shared with me some of the victories in his own personal spiritual experience. I applauded them, encouraged them. He talked about in his church uh, where he's from, uh, you know, God prompting him to become a leader amongst men and, 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 and developing, you know, a life group uh, for guys his age and his stage of life and, and being used of God in a scary way. I don't know if I should do this. I don't know if I can do this. But, but it's what he's sensing God. And we took the next few holes and we just talked the God stuff. And we shared in the things of the Spirit. Don't be afraid to bring Jesus up, the Spirit up. And the stuff of life, he's there, he deserves our mention, and we certainly should be united in him, in one spirit. We need to be united, not standing firm not just in one spirit, but standing firm with one mind is the next phrase that Paul says there. He says, I, I pray that you stand firm with one mind. It's the Greek word suke, from which we get psychology. It's often translated in your Bibles, uh, mind or thought. But it's bigger than that, it's soul. Uh, in the Greek uh, understanding of this word, it was, went way, way beyond your cognitive and it went into the core of who you are, heart and soul. And so he says, I want you to obviously be aware of the spirits moving in life and, and to be you know, constantly in touch with, with God's spirit and, and encouraging each other spiritually. But I want you also to be there for each other in all of the other matters of heart and soul. I want you to share the same mindset now, one of the scholars I read said that Paul is calling the Philippians to a oneness of emotion, decision, and ambition. When I heard or read that part about us being uh, sharers of each other's emotions, I thought about the circumstances that just come up in life and how we're meant to be there with each other, for each other. Uh, like it says in Romans, uh, Romans chapter 12, one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You good at that? Or when someone is rejoicing, posting on Facebook how God blessed them, are you like jealous? <sighs> I can't believe they posted that. I wish I had that. When someone's weeping and experiencing uh, difficult circumstances, are you like, man, it stinks to be them? Glad that's not me. Dodged a bullet there, I guess. Or are you doing what God calls us to do in the body of Christ? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Uh, we got to walk through a difficult 
couple hours yesterday morning with a family from our church, a dear brother uh, who was here long before I got here, a guy by the name of Jay Ayers, uh, passed on in the last couple weeks to be with his Savior. Uh, as you've been to one of these celebrations of life, they're hard. You get up and you talk about someone who's not there. Um, you celebrate all the ways that God used them in your life. But the, uh, there was a common refrain as, as people talked about my brother Jay. Uh, Jay, not perfect. Everybody clear on that? No one is. But he had excelled in some of the ways that Paul's describing things working here in this one thing. Jay almost never uh, finished a conversation with someone without uh, praying for them or at least asking them, hey, what can I do for you? It just came up with every you know, speaker that got up there, just how he oriented his life. He was about people and honoring God with them as he walked through life. I thought, man, what, a, what an example for all of us that when it comes to life, this one thing that we've been given in Christ, we live in a manner that's worthy of him. How do we do that? We take a stand. And we, we stand firm in one spirit and in one soul or mind or emotion. And we honor him together as the team that he's made us to be. He tells us to strive side by side. Back in that verse uh, that we were just studying in Philippians, it says, uh, but stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side. It's one Greek word. It's one of my favorite ones that I've ever discovered in the Greek language. It's this word, sunathlon, or sunathleo. It's actually how you're supposed to pronounce that. Uh, soon is the Greek prefix for with, okay, like syn, like syntax or uh, synchronize, S-Y-N, not S. Anyway, you, you guys get what I'm talking about? Just nod, buddy. Are you, you're with me, right? Athleo. What's that sound like? athlete. So this is a word that Paul uses of the church, and it basically means play well with each other. Play this game together. Who's played sports? Anybody played a sport here? Team sport? Uh, if, if someone's playing volleyball and the three guys in the back decide they're not going to play with the three guys in the front, yeah, I'm looking at you, Zach. If the three guys in the back decide not to play with the three guys in the front, is that team going to win? But if the three guys in the back start hitting the ball the opposite direction of the net, is that going to be a successful volleyball adventure? No. Who's watched the Bucks, where one guy was running this play and the rest of them were running this play? That was like the whole last season. Are you with me? Sorry, Bucks fans. It was rough. But if you're not on the same page, you can expect that things will not work. Church, listen to me. If we fail to be on the same page, if we fail to strive together, side by side, the game is lost. I love that he puts it this way. I've told you all the time that Christianity is a team sport and it's meant to be played well with those that God gives us in life. So we're meant to stand firm, one spirit, one mind or one soul, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. It's all about that, that one thing again, that, that it comes back to Christ, living a life in a manner worthy of the gospel that he's given us, doing, uh, taking the stand and doing what we do in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the sake of or in the spirit of that one gospel. We do it so we can share the gospel. It's the primary purpose of the church here on earth. Everybody gets that, right? Like if we all just turn inward as the body of Christ, we are a wasted church. It's not what we're meant to do. We're meant to stay outward, 
Come in here, refuel, and go out there and share the good news that people need to hear. So we extend the faith of the gospel. We defend the faith of the gospel. And we do it all without fear. Look what it says in verse 28. He says, strive side by side for the faith of the gospel and be not frightened in anything by your opponents. Love this word for fear in your Bibles. Uh, most of the time when you see the word fear, it's the Greek word phobos, from where we get phobia, right? Makes sense, right? But here in this text, Paul switches it up and uses a word that's only used like two or three times in the entire New Testament. It's a, it's a hard word to pronounce, it's patero, uh, but it's a word from the barn. It was a word used of horses who would get spooked and stampede. Anybody seen that movie? I grew up watching westerns, odors, they're called. Uh, yeah, I've seen lots of stampedes. And all it takes is one little thing, and all of a sudden one horse start, start runs, starts to run, and then what happens with the other horses? They might not even have heard the noise, the noise, but everybody starts following that one horse that's freaking out, and you got a stampede. And in the age that we live in, there are entire denominations who have gotten afraid of not fitting into the culture that we live in, and they've stampeded away from the truth of Jesus Christ. All right? Here's what Paul's saying to this first century church and to this, what are we in, 21st century church. Is that where we're in? Sounds right, Cheryl. That feels good. He says, stand firm. Don't get spooked. Don't run away from the truth. Lean all the more into the things that you know to be true from Scripture. Paul says if we can do this, the rest of verse 28, it will be a clear sign to them, to the world, of their destruction, but also a clear sign to us of our salvation, a salvation and a destruction, both, that come from God. Admittedly, this is probably one of the tougher verses in this little run that Paul gives us for us to understand. I read tons of books, and they're kind of all over the place, but the general consensus is this. That as we live this life of perseverance, of standing firm, of living a life that's worthy of the call that we've been given in Christ, right? That may mean that we lose in some respects, that, that the world comes against us, that persecution is a part of life. But what Paul does is he reminds us here that our perseverance in that persecution will be a proof of this truth that we hold to. That eventually, maybe not in the now that Philippi was living in, maybe not in the now of the life that we're living in, but in the future for sure. Anybody heard this verse? Uh, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's a time coming where the victory that was won at the cross will be fully realized in the world that we live in. Is anybody ready for it? I am. And so... Any skirmish, any loss along the way is ultimately leading to that final victory. And Paul says, hey man, stick with it. I am, I'm in prison. I'm doing everything I can to live a life worthy of the call that I've been given in Jesus Christ. And even if it doesn't seem like in your circumstances God is winning, know that God has won. And that your choice to live for him will be proved in their destruction and in your salvation one day. Bottom line, we need to dig in without fear because God has our backs. He's gonna back us up in life. 
Paul writes to his friends in Corinth who are struggling uh, with their own persecutions. And he tells them about uh, how their bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Ever heard that? He he describes it this way to them. He says, um, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? He says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will, what? Destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You don't get to get all like, you know, gymnastic-y with the theology of that. It's just God's got our back. God, later in in the the letter to Rome uh, that I was reading there in chapter 12, he says, uh, uh, don't take vengeance for yourself because God says, vengeance is mine, right? You don't have to go out there and, and try to get even or get ahead. Just trust that God has your back as you continue to stand firm and make the statement that he's called you to make. It's the one thing that he's given us. While he's at it, he's gonna finish with this one idea. The Christ life is a struggle to be embraced. Wanna do it with me one more time? It's fun, right? It's a struggle to be embraced. Maybe this week as you're out there in life and things aren't going well in traffic, you can sit there behind your wheel, Bill, and you can be like, It's a struggle to be embraced. How are you at embracing your struggles? Okay, me too. I don't like them. I don't look forward to them. I can't wait for them to be done. I pray with people after every service about their struggles, and that's one of the chief components of our prayers. Lord, finish this. Bring solution. End the pain. Anybody prayed that for someone? Prayed that for yourself? It's a right prayer. But over and over again, as you read your Bibles, your Bibles tell you to find joy, take joy when you experience struggles, James said, right? Uh, Here, Paul says it this way. Look at verse 29. For it has been granted to you. That word granted there is a Greek word whose root is uh, the word for grace, charis. It's a gift. It's a grace that has been given you. From God, it has been granted you from God that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So two things have been given to you. First of all, your ability to have faith in Jesus is a gift that God has given you. Here's what that means. I don't know the pie chart for this, but I know that we have a free will, but I also believe that God is sovereign and that he draws those who follow him to himself. He is, by his spirit, if you're sitting here this morning and you came in here because, oh, you had to and your mom made you or, uh, you know, you'll be in trouble with your wife or your husband if you didn't come. Okay, you, you being here, you think is because of those things out of duress, but God, by his spirit, has ordered the steps of your life that you might sit here and hear his gospel be preached so that if it is his desire for you to join him in his family, and it is, he would draw you out of your sinful rebellion and into himself. Are you with me? He is the initiator, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so Paul reminds the Philippians, hey man, it has been granted to you by God. It is the gift and grace of God that you believe in the first place. But then he goes on to the hard part. All in favor of God drawing us into faith and belief. That sounds good, right? But he says, hey man, not just that, but also 
He's gifted you with the opportunity to suffer for his sake. In a letter that Paul wrote to his friend Timothy, another pastor like him, uh, who was working at a church in a place called Ephesus, Paul writes this. He says, indeed, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I mean, it's just right there. He, he, he takes away the surprise of it. Anybody? In, okay, show of hands. I know you're in church. Just be, just be real. Anybody want to live a godly life? Who wants to live a godly life? Me too. Does everybody read what Paul just said? Anybody who wants to live a godly life, if you desire to live a godly life, guess what? Suffering's a part of it. Suffering is the path that we take to godliness. So I don't have uh, much time, but let me just cover at least three things why uh, suffering is a part of God's plan. First of all, suffering is the means by which God makes our faith stronger. Does everybody understand that uh, if we don't have to wrestle with things, faith isn't really necessary in life? We get that, right? It goes, put it this way. Uh, what we believe goes from theory to practice when persecution arrives. Like we really find out if we truly believe this stuff when life breaks. And if when life breaks, we're like, I'm out. I thought I believed, but I guess I don't. Off I go. Well then, okay, there. We've found out truly what's going on inside this place where you and I keep our faith. But, and, le- and listen, if, if, if you had failures like that, take heart. Does God take us back? Is anybody grateful for that? Isn't it awesome that he uh, uh, danced with Pete on the waves, and when Pete had doubts, he scooped him back out of the depths. Isn't that cool, right? But I say to you, at least Pete was out of the boat. We got a little sign of what was going on in the faith uh, parts of Pete's life by the fact that he didn't hug the side with the rest of the guys. Faith makes us stronger, or, or persecution makes our faith stronger. I don't know who he is, but Sinclair Ferguson uh, wrote something that I really like. He said, suffering is the friction which polishes our graces. It's what sands down the parts of us that need not be there so that faith can reside and preside in who we are. So faith makes our, or excuse me, persecution, suffering makes our faith stronger. Suffering makes our message louder. It makes our message louder. I love what Paul wrote to his friends in Corinth. He says this in the second letter that he wrote to them in chapter four, verse seven. He says, we have uh, this treasure in jars of clay. Second Corinthians four, seven, it's coming up. You'll see it in just a second. We have this treasure in jars of clay. That'd be a great name for a Christian band in the 90s. I don't know who had ever, why, why didn't they ever think of that? We, that's a stupid Christian joke. Anyway, uh, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. What a beautiful metaphor of the Christ life. Uh, <laughs> let, me, let me explain to who, all of us who we are. We're, we're pots. We, we are simply vessels that God works through in life. There's nothing in and, in and, in and about us that is uh, of spiritual worth, that is of spiritual value to him, but he chooses to redeem us and use us, even though we're just jars of clay. 
and he works through us. And so Paul makes this profound statement. And then the next things out of his mouth are how hard being a pot is. Look what he says. He says, uh, we're these jars of clay and God's treasure flows through us. But, but as he flows through us, through, through us, as he flows through us, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed. We are perplexed but not driven to despair. despair. We are persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. We are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. We suffer. Why? So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in these jars of clay. Amen. You know how you know how God turns up the volume of our testimony? He makes things hard. So that if people watch us go through things that are hard and we cling to Jesus and we stand firm and make our statement. And they're like, there might be something to this whole Jesus thing. And they follow him in faith. Suffering makes us stronger. It makes our message louder. And the last thing is it makes us more like Jesus. Anybody think that the Son of God suffered a little bit on our behalf? Yeah, the cross, chief among them. But later in this same letter, Paul's going to write to the Philippians and say, can you just marvel at the humility of our Savior? God made himself nothing. He emptied himself. And he came to this, this earth and lived this life for our sake. You want to be like him? Sign up for the suffering. Don't go masochistic and looking for it. But when it comes, accept it, knowing that he's going to make your faith stronger, he's going to make your message louder, and in the end you'll be more like the Savior, whose life you're trying to live in a manner that's worthy of who he is. I got so much more. But let me close with this. The Christ life. One more time. It's a statement to be made. It's a stand to be taken. And it's a struggle to be embraced. So let me ask you, what statement is your life making right now? Are people able to see Jesus in the ways that you live? Are you living a life worthy of the gospel that has been given you? Are you standing firm? If I'm honest with myself, I'm wasting way too much time heading back to the drive-thrus of life and getting what I think I'm entitled to. What God really hopes for me is to stand firm with all y'all in one spirit, with one soul, one mind, one heart, rallying around each other, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Is that what you're standing for? I pray it is. And are you struggling? Oh, yes, is the answer, right? It's just hard in life sometimes. But in particular seasons, the struggle is way harder. Can I encourage you that even as those circumstances mount, God wants to work in them for you, through you, so that you understand him better. Your faith in him gets stronger your testimony for him gets louder and you resemble his son more and more. That's my prayer for us this morning. Some of you haven't even started. You need to know who Jesus is. I'm going to stand right down here after we're done praying. 
And I would love to, to introduce you to this Christ life through faith in Jesus Christ. Can the rest of us stand? We'll close in prayer. Let's stand together. God in heaven, thanks for Paul and his testimony, his, his life. Um, he made the very best wherever he was of his circumstances. He's an example to all of us. His call to the church in Philippi is our call, God. We just want to uh, be about this one thing. We want to live this life that's worthy of you. We want to drive a stake into the truth that we hold to and not sway from it. We want to do it together. We want to face the struggles that are going to obviously come as we continue to fight upstream in a world that doesn't believe in you. Uh, We want to lean into those things knowing you're going to use them. So help us with that, God. I want to pray specifically for the people in here right now who have that extra level of struggle, whatever they're facing. If marriages are falling apart, if uh, you know, there's just a, a hardship physically, financially, whatever. God, by your grace, would you use your church, your word, your truth to encourage that person and lead them through their storm. I pray it all in Jesus' name. And the church said, love you guys. Have a great week. One thing. <laughs>